0: You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Ben Jenkins had prostate cancer before he met his wife, but he always knew he wanted kids, so he took steps to ensure that when he met the woman he wanted to have a family with, it would still be an option. And while Ben knew he would not be having children the traditional way, he had no way of knowing what a roller coaster he and his wife were getting on. Ben joins us in the studio today. Hi, Ben, how are you? Hello,
1: Siobhan. I'm great. How are you?
0: Good, thank you. So, how old were you when you got? prostate cancer?
1: Uh, I was 36. Yeah. So I'm, I'm 44 now, almost 45, but yeah. 36 uh, is young. It it is young. Yeah.
0: What kind of impact did that have on your life at that time?
1: Uh, a huge impact. Yeah. I mean, firstly, just to go back to how I found, found out that I had it, it was really one of those kind of fateful situations in life. It wasn't on my radar. I wasn't on my, you know, wasn't thinking anything about cancer, but I'd gotten quite, Sick just with food poisoning over the Christmas break, and that triggered my intuition to go, okay, you should, you know, you're you're getting a bit older now, you should probably start having a yearly health check. Just you know, just go in, just go to the GP, just ask for all the things and and see what's going on. Not looking for anything sinister, but just you know how I could be in optimal health. Um, And he said, look, while you're here, we can check your PSA. You know, normally we don't check men under forty, but while you're here, do you want to just do it? And I just went, well, yeah. If we're here, let's let's do it. I've got no reason to think that anything would come of it. And sure enough, that's where it first sort of showed up, and it was quite aggressive. So,
0: and um, what a shock, though, especially yeah, when you weren't. I was, mean, I'm a hypochondriac, so I kind of feel yeah, I like get yeah. diagnosed with anything. It won't be a shock, yeah, because I think I have everything anyway. Yeah. But if you go into that situation thinking, yeah. hey, you will see yeah, what I'm cool. comes yeah. of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge um, kind of wow at first and this is when i kind of realized about myself that I, I don't really jump to things straight away it takes me a little while for things to sink in so i was kind of like oh that's high oh okay uh, and you know the, obviously he told me it could be other things you know it could be cancer but it also could be you ride your bike a lot you could have an inflamed prostate from riding your bike a lot it could be a urinary tract infection it could be several other things so i was like okay it's got to be one of those um So I wasn't really too bothered by it um, in the beginning. But then I sort of, like I said, as things sink in a bit further with me, it started to soak in and I was like, wow, this, this could be something here. Um, and the tests we, you know, you go on a course of antibiotics to see what I did, went on a course of antibiotics to see if it would, the level would come down naturally as if it was an infection or something. And it didn't in that first period of a month. So he said, well, let's try it again. And we did it for another month. Um, and it didn't come down. And that's when I started going, okay, this is a bit, this could be a bit more serious here.
0: And how do you process that as a, Young man of thirty six.
1: Yeah, I think. Look, I think back then uh, I was I was a very different person. In in the eight years since then, I am a completely completely different man. I it was even thinking just before while I was walking in here how far I've come in that time, and. At that time, I think I probably just put it on the back burner. You know, I wasn't really going to process it. As my mum would say, don't worry until someone tells you to worry. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, okay. So let's, let's just keep How it did going.
0: How the GP here. told you to worry at the point where he said, this yeah. is probably prostate cancer? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, he was, he was a pretty crazy guy as well. So um, <laughs> it's not until he like, put me on to the, to the uh, urologist where it started to get a bit more serious. And mm. that's when I started to go, oh, okay, this is something here because they're, they're more blunt. I bet you know they're not they're not the kind of they're not the kind of doctors who see you know 20, 30 people a day and and they're you know trying to empathise with them. He was pretty straight to the point about what it uh, could be, but he put me on the antibiotics again and did another month before it just the level stayed the same, and he just said, "Look, I'd be remiss in doing my duty if we didn't do a biopsy." And then that's when you know it, it got it got pretty real for yeah. me. I wasn't a mess, but I would I would say it really kind of did affect me and it was something that was on my mind all the time. And particularly that, you know, when you have something like that, you go to sleep at night, they're the times when it, when it really starts to tick over. When you've got your day job and it's pretty busy, you can, you're really kind of... Distracted. Distracted, yeah. And you can put it, you can put it in the back of your mind a little bit, but it's definitely there, definitely a constant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's
0: also, I think sometimes if, if people haven't had experience with a diagnosis, you feel like in a way you go to the GP they see something they say you've got cancer yeah. and then on you go but it sounds like actually there's this really long process mm. I and mean, you didn't about three months yeah, of antibiotics, yeah. Yeah, by the yeah. sound of it. It was
1: three months before before doing the biopsy. You're, you're right. And you
0: still have to wait for the biopsy to come mm. back, and then you have to wait to see what your treatment yeah. will be. And yeah. it it is definitely, there's no um, clarity, it feels like.
1: No, not at all. At, at, even before, uh, you know, we'd done the biopsy, and that's a that's a day surgery. You go in there, and that's, that's when I say it kind of got a lot more real because you're in the hospital. You've got to go in under, and you've got to have this procedure, and then it leaves effects on you afterwards for a little while but before that my specialist had said look this is what it could be but I'm 95% sure it's not cancer. I'm 95% sure. He's like you're too young this doesn't tick all the boxes here yeah I, God, reme- I
0: bet he had it was a hard conversation for him to have with you and he realized it was uh well, he was
1: he was he was actually pretty straight up about it i, <laughs> so, I, don't, I don't know oh, again, I made a mistake. again i think he's the kind of guy who's probably said that quite a few times yeah no he never he never went back and, and addressed that uh he's probably he was a bit more like wow you know i didn't think it was but hey it is um, yeah. not quite that nonchalant but you know i was 36 years old and you know i wasn't single i had a I had a, a partner at the time but we weren't married and, and we were having fun on the weekends and I'd had a, actually had a pretty big weekend before I had to go in on the Monday to find out the results. And I remember sitting in the waiting room and it kind of just washed over me there. And I was like, Holy crap, this, this could really be cancer here, you know? And I started getting a bit anxious in there. And then I went in and sure enough, he, he said, um, he goes, you know, I, I, I didn't think it was, but you know, it's, I've got the results back and, and there is some cancer there. That's how he, how he phrased it. And It's true what they say. It's like you don't hear anything after that.
0: Now you've got this diagnosis. You've Mm. got uh, lots of different pamphlets, lots Mm. of different options of how you can go. And then, of course, you have to navigate a medical Mm. profession, a medical uh, machine, if you like, on how you get the treatment that's right for you. How did that impact on your relationship at the time?
1: I think for a long time we weren't we weren't quite right, and it might have been in around that around that time, but she to her credit she did just bet in and, and was very supportive and really just said, "Look whatever decision you want to make, it's up to you and it, obviously it does affect your relationship you're going through a traumatic period so in those situations in a relationship you're either in or you're out. And yeah, like I say, to her credit, she was she was in and she was she was very supportive.
0: And at that time, did you have a discussion with her about what would happen with treatment and fertility?
1: Yeah, it was a fairly quick discussion. Like I said, that's so when you get those documents, there's nothing in there, pretty much nothing in there about how this is going to affect you having a family because it's generally a diagnosis for older men who's have who've had their families. So you kind of have to start asking a few questions you get all this information about everything else but then it's that last you know five minutes or 10 minutes of an hour-long conversation where you're going oh by the way you won't be able to have kids naturally so we did get that but you know we had a quick conversation about it but I was very much of the mind and I probably you know I came to the decision pretty quickly without really digesting what the ramifications would be I, I didn't really think about it I was just like I have cancer in my body I've got to get it out so that's really where that went. But we did have a conversation saying, you know, this will, we won't be able to have kids naturally. And, you know, we both accepted that that was the case. We knew that there were ways to do it. We would, you know, either do IUI and then if IUI didn't work, we would do IVF.
0: But that conversation about freezing your sperm mm. for a future yeah. possibility that wasn't on your radar, that's yeah. still an extra step you have to take in amongst Yeah. Well, essentially, like you said, you thought you were facing death and then mm. you're thinking... I mean, how do you take that step to go? I'm dealing with this massive thing that's overwhelming yeah, me yeah, here, yeah. but I'm going to have the presence of mind yeah. before any of this to freeze, freeze my sperm. My sperm. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I kind of, it was, it was interesting. I, like, uh, now that I think about that, I was very much. Just trying to go, okay, we've got to make this lighthearted in some way.
0: (laughs) You know, I'm like, what are
1: are, are we going to do here? Cool, I'm going to go to this place and I'm going to go and masturbate for a little bit and, you know, (laughs) give them some sperm and say, hey, can you put this in the fridge for as long as I need it to be in the fridge? It was kind of like, I remember thinking back then, I've got to treat this like a little bit of an adventure. There's got to be something in here that's not so. Head down, and I think that was me like the early signs of you know what that whole experience would bring for me, and that's like a it, it's been completely enlightening, and I have completely changed my outlook and way that I live.
0: Well, if you had to do you're a creative person, mm-hmm. yeah, if you had to do a caricature of Ben before, yeah, and the Ben after, yeah. Yep. Can you describe the Ben before for me? Like he's a character in a yep. movie and yeah, then the yeah, Ben yeah. after.
1: Yeah. I think the Ben before Cancer was very much, if you make it like a, like a high school movie. Yes. I was very much the, the kind of guy who just went along with the crowd. There's the cool people. I'll just do what they're doing. It's not really what I want to do, but I, I want to be one of the cool people, you know? Mm-hmm. So from the 20s onwards, I was like, you know, let's go party. And I was partying with people and going out all the time. I'm like, actually, when I look back, I'm like, I didn't really enjoy that. But I didn't know if everyone else was in not enjoying it as well. I was just going <laughs> along with them. But
0: They look like they're having time Everyone was
1: having a great time. And, you know, I was just, deep down, it probably wasn't for me as well. I was a very kind of negative person. I was kind of had that mentality that was, you know, expect the worst, hope for the best kind of mentality. And it was like having prostate cancer. I remember, like, sitting because I had a, a radical prostatect- prostatectomy. So I don't know what that it's is. It's a complete removal of the prostate. Right. Um, so, you know, there's different ways of treating prostate cancer. So you can have your prostate removed completely, which would take the cancer out completely, as long as it's not too close to the edge and it hasn't spread out. Yes. Or you can put radioactive rods in there. And even, you know, in the time since I've had treatment, there's other ways of treating it. But I saw three different doctors, the one that I went to initially, and then got two more opinions to find out a well-rounded set of opinions as to what I should do. And they all said you've the best chance of this cancer never returning is if you have your prostate removed just because of your age Yes, at 36, because you've got such a long period of life. This would be the best chance of doing that. So the, just to go back on it, the, the before Ben was a very kind of, you know, expect the worst hope for the best kind of guy. Moving forward after I'd had the surgery, it was after I'd had the surgery, I was sitting in the hospital and... You know, of course, when you've had a surgery like that and you're you're on a lot of, you know, not morphine, but fentanyl and things like that, you're like sitting there in the middle of the night going, wow, what's the, where am I? What's happening here kind of thing? And I was starting to get a lot of kind of like bolts from the blue of like, you know, you've got to make this mean something. You can't just let this define you having cancer and sit there and be in the doldrums going, oh, okay, now I can't have kids, you know, naturally. It could affect your sex life, all of this stuff. And I was like... I want to make sure that I, when I get out of here and I go over this situation and I'm back to to normal health, that I will use my story to help other people in some way, shape or form. So I really started to to flip the switch. And then I also knew a psychologist at the time who was very much into Buddhism and, and meditation. And I, when I was younger, had read, like, got a lot of books on meditation, like the Tibetan Book of the Living and Dying, but never actually read them. No, they look was, good on your shelf. They do. But I was, like, 13 <laughs> at the time. And oh, remember wow. my dad, like, gave me this this amount of money and said, you know, this is for your birthday. And I was like, oh, great, I want to buy all these books and, and bought all those, but didn't really get through them all. But I'd had that sense that that I wanted to get into that, and that was going to get me somewhere. So I went to the psychologist, and then we sat down and talked, and he said, look, I understand why he came and saw me me, Ben, but I'm struggling to see how you need me. You seem to be on a pretty good track here. So that was kind of me thinking, okay, well, I am. This is the the right path. But I said, look, I know you're really into meditation and Buddhism. And um, that's really what I came to And He said, well, that I can help you with. So he helped me learn how to meditate, helped me to be mindful and get into myself and not let my thoughts race away with me. And that was really the, the foundation, the start of me getting on a path to where I am now, where I am a lot more positive about life don't, you know, sit down and fester on the negatives. Not to say it comes easily. It takes work. But that is where I learned that I needed to do the work, particularly. So you were
0: the bad the bad boy, the the kind of pleaser at high school. Yeah. And you became the weird Zen Buddhist kid <laughs> after high school. It was lovely yeah. to everyone, but nobody really Yeah, yeah. No, but
1: I just sort of put all that away. And I think that was like, that was like deep down. That was something that was like the path for me. But I'd, I'd pressed it all down. And it was almost like, well you know, the universe goes, well, we're going to have to, you know, here's prostate cancer. Here you go. Maybe you... this wakes you up. You know, <laughs> it's so when you... unfair. I'd and, rather uh, someone gave <laughs> you a pamphlet. and. Sometimes, you know, that's what I've learned. Life gives you lessons and you need to learn from them. So I really did learn from that, that I needed to start being a little bit more who I was deep down, a little bit more authentic.
0: Do you think people who knew you before can see the
1: difference? I think definitely. And I think, you know... Sometimes, you know, people were kind of, they, they can get a little bit jealous of that, of that situation. They, they prefer you to be the old person that they know and love. They're like, you know, cause they've got their own issues and they, you know, they.
0: They happen- want their party friend back.
1: Yeah, they do. Yeah.
0: And how did you meet your now wife, Stacey?
1: We were actually set up. Ah. Uh, yeah. So.
0: That's nice when setups work. Yeah. Yeah, not yeah. Some yeah. awkward date you'd rather forget about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is. A mutual friend of Stace and mine was, she hit the nail on the head. Um, but what had happened was I had, again, I'd, I'd had this moment probably a couple of weeks prior to us meeting where I'd gone away for about four days and stayed in my mate's, uh, he's got a holiday house up the coast and, you know, I, I was kind of feeling a bit burnt out and I just said, can I go up there and stay up there and, you know, just chill out for a week? And he's like, absolutely. Went up there and just had some real epiphanies there while I was there on my own, just had that space to kind of think and feel about things. And I remember that you know i'd wanted to really be a lot more true to myself and i wasn't really pressing fully forward with it i'd changed some things but i wasn't really committing to it fully and just this phrase you know be more authentic it just popped into my head and i just really felt when that came into my head it was a real feeling my intuition saying okay you need to do this so i wrote it down on a on a post-it note and stuck it on like my bathroom door so i saw it every day and i just happened to be talking to our mutual friend one time and i said look you know, I'd been away and all this had happened and I'd written this down on a, on a post-it note. She's like, oh my God, you have to meet Stace. These are exactly the things that she talks about. This is exactly the person that she is. She's like, if nothing comes of it, that's fine. You might end up being good friends. But then we did meet and, um, and you know, I want to say the rest is history, but yeah, the rest is history. No, you
0: can. (laughs) There are cliches for a reason. So, um, was it immediate for you when you first met her?
1: It's funny. we, We talk about this. We did used to talk about it often, but it wasn't like when someone walks in a room and you go, Oh, you know, there's the love of my life. Cause it wasn't like that. But when she walked in the room, there was this like real light and presence about her. And I knew that she was special. And then when we sat down, you know, it was a late Sunday afternoon date where you could always go, well, I've got to go to family dinner if it's not <laughs> working out. Um, but we ended up staying on that date for six hours. You oh, know, we, wow. we had drinks and then we were like, do you want to stay here for dinner? And then we had dinner and we just like, it was amazing. How, I don't even say how well we got along. It was like, it was just like two pieces of a puzzle, two pieces of a puzzle coming together. It really was. And, and it, you, was, it just felt right.
0: And you talked about, you know, you had that post-it note. That was yeah. the post-it note that brought you together, about yeah, yeah, authenticity. Yeah. Mm. Um, it was a first date that was obviously mm-hmm. going well. Mm-hmm. How did that authenticity come out in a conversation where you've just been through this huge... Mm-hmm life-changing experience yep. that, as you mentioned, could have an impact on your fertility, on yep. your sex life, first date.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. How
0: does that, does that come up?
1: Absolutely. For me, it had to. Right. And that was, you know, that's what I was doing. I'd been on, you know, you go on the dating apps and I was always of the mind that I would, you know, be going on two, three dates before any conversations come up. I wasn't the one night stand kind of guy. That's just just not me. So. Um, so
0: you weren't really suited to the dating no, at all then? <laughs> no. So there's a couple of experiences
1: where are like, oh, this is a bit awkward. Uh, I can see what's going on here. Uh, anyway, I've got to go. But I, because it did, you know, there were certain things at, at that time where my, my function, you know, it needed a bit of help. So, yep. you know, taking pills and things like that. And it took a full year for it my function actually to even come back after surgery. So I was very anxious around, you know, what might happen on a first date. So... In this situation, I would always kind of, you know, back away a little bit, but show some interest, you know, gave her a kiss at the end of the night. But before that, I had told her, um, uh, you know, what I'd been through. Because once I was in a situation where I could see, oh, okay, I'm kind of, I really like this girl. I want her to know, you know, what's, what's happened to me in my life before anything goes further. And, you know, she... She wanted to catch up again. So that's when I knew that there was something there. But in the past, if I'd said that and someone didn't want to catch up again, then you know that it's not the right person. Mm. So, yeah, I was being more authentic and being very open and honest about things.
0: How did she respond when you told her?
1: She's, I mean, she's an amazing person. She's a very empathetic, a very soulful person. So she said, that's terrible. But, you know, she didn't run away. So, <laughs> good sign. <laughs> that was the thing, you know. So, Um,
0: How old were you on this first date?
1: So we've only been together for four years or so. So, yeah, so I would have been 41.
0: Yeah. Okay. So So even in an age where men, you know, Mick Jagger's having babies mm, at whatever age, there is a lot of pressure on people who are dating at that stage of life that the woman or the man, fertility, regardless of Mm -hmm. the past, is reducing anyway. Yeah. yeah. Was children something that you spoke about soon? Yeah. Like early on in the relationship?
1: Absolutely. So it would have been, you know, even two or three dates in where we were just talking about what we want in life. And that's when I kind of knew I'd met someone special because I could talk about that. She could talk about that. We we're very much on the same page, not looking to hurry things, but... Um, haha
0: ha, he says, not looking yeah, to hurry yeah, things. Yeah, but then we did hurry things, you know, <laughs> we got
1: engaged, married, had a kid, all, well, all in that time, you know? Yeah. So it was open and honest the whole time, basically. We were very, I think we we fell in love very quickly. So when that happens, you just want to be truthful. I, I do anyway, at least. In saying all this, you know, it makes it seem like it was like a blissful, you know, everything turned out, you know, it was magical kind of relationship that we have. And we do, but we still have... Troubles and, and human. Uh, and we're human, yeah. Yes. But and I don't think that Stace fully understood the ramifications when we got together because you know, we were falling in love. So you go through that phase where you kind you're of You're not like,
0: thinking about IVFI, you're no, not thinking, well, no, oh, no. this is what I'm gonna need to do yeah, in order yeah. to
1: But even sex life and, and that I wouldn't be like a, you know, everyone else. Yeah. It still takes you know, certain measures and ways I need to look after myself to have the great sex life that we have. But she probably didn't process that at the I time.
0: No one does. I mean, yeah. look, most well, I'm I'm generalising here, but a lot of people, myself included, would probably n- not process that we're dating an unemployed yeah. um, someone with no future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fall in love. You don't even think yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: then it comes mm. out, yeah. and then
0: it all happens. <laughs> yeah. and you're like, oh, I didn't think this falling in love thing through. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. The conversation starts, um, we might fast forward a bit because it's this big story, Mm -mm. Um, but basically you knew you wanted children. Yeah. You knew that you would have to have some kind of assisted technology Mm -hmm. to help you have kids. Yeah. That process can be a short period for some people or a long period. How long was it for you guys?
1: Uh, It was about 18 months. And, you know, everything was happening magically, getting engaged and getting married, like I said, and then first attempt to be we like, wow, this relationship is really meant to be. This is, <laughs> what's going on here? Are we special? Like, you know, this is crazy. Um, and it really, like we did have a, like, I remember we had a great time when we were in the room and we were doing the um, insemination. We were all laughing and joking. And, and that's just the way our, our doctor, you know, loved it. I'd been to see my kinesiologist and she helped me reconnect energetically with my sperm. And, you know, she said, if you go in there, see if you can hold the tube. You oh,
0: know? you were in a video saying that, that yeah. you wanted to hold the tube yeah. before you went in. So I
1: held the tube and she was super cool with that. And, you know, she was not just super cool. She's like, oh, I'm right into this. This is great. <laughs> and then, so I did that and did the, you know, held it before she did the insemination. And then you have that little period of waiting. And that's, that's the thing that having to do things artificially that makes it a lot trickier than doing things naturally is that you are aware of every step of the process. You don't just go, oh, we'll just have sex a couple of times a Or once a month or whatever and you know we'll see what happens because in doing that um, you know you can probably just keep going and going and not think about it for a couple of months when you're doing artificial insemination you're thinking about every step of the way okay here's your two week wait uh, and then you find out if you're pregnant or not on that one first go bang pregnant and you know that was that was amazing, as we went along, we were like nervously excited going to the appointments and going to all the checkups and and tests and then we went to our sort of uh, which I think it was probably seven weeks. we went to that checkup uh, and that 's where you 're hoping to hear the heartbeat around that time and the person who was doing the test said, "Look sorry there 's no heartbeat there," and we were just shattered, so we were quickly moved into coping with a miscarriage and um you know, that took some some time and, and some energy to kind of to get through that period. So I remember Stace, was, yeah, she was quite heartbroken um, from that and it was a really kind of tough time. So then you've got to kind of communicate with each other about, you know, when you're going to get back on the horse, so to speak, and, and keep going. But it's really important that you do keep talking during that period to figure out what you want to do and make sure that your partner's okay and make sure that you're okay. So then we waited probably another three or four months and that's when we actually, we went off and got married in that time. We went to New York and eloped in New York
0: and did all that. Fabulous. Yeah, Yeah,
1: it was pretty amazing. And then came back and after we'd settled down for a bit after a couple of months, we decided to have another go. But we had read that the hospital in Ramwick um, had a pretty good assisted program. So that was through the public system. And we ended up going with them and we actually had a few attempts and it was on that last one. So it, had, it was the fourth attempt, if we put them all together, that we actually got pregnant. But then after you've had a miscarriage going through there, you're like, oh man, every week is like, a, oh, here comes another test. Oh, what's going to happen? But sure enough, everyone went swimmingly. No pun uh, <laughs> No pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> and um, yeah, every check was 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 great.
0: And so you... Stacy Stacey and yourself, really, it feels like you had quite an unusual relationship from the start in the yep. sense of how you had to learn to communicate with yep. each other. I mean, yep. obviously, you're both naturally quite open and mm, honest. Very
1: much so, yeah. So that
0: was a help. But yep. human beings aren't meant to fit exactly together, no. and we rub up against each other all the time.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Do you think that that process of... Um, I mean, which started with you getting prostate cancer, mm. ultimately has led you into a relationship where you are just, just naturally working on it, naturally understand yeah. that you have to talk about things, yeah. that you have to. Because there aren't many people who would be dating today, mm. even though they want kids, would feel comfortable bringing it up.
1: Yes. On the first date. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think, you know, you know, you don't really want to scare the person <laughs> no. off. And that to you. Well, whoa, kids, whoa, whoa. We Hold on. Even, we haven't even slept together yet.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't even know what you like to eat. Yeah. What are your first course? Then we'll talk about kids.
1: I think it was just fate for us. Two people who were of the same mindset and open and honest came together. And I, like I said before, I was very open and honest with any girl who I'd gone on to a certain number of dates or gone down a certain path with about what it meant. And this, me having that surgery and having prostate cancer, but yeah, it it was, it it just seemed to be that, you know, that we were just right for each other because she was, you know, in a situation where she'd come out of a long-term relationship, was looking to start a family, but had known since she was a girl that she wanted to be a mum and, you know, talking about it straight off the bat or probably me initiating the conversation. It was probably like, Oh, thank God. So she could talk about it and her dreams at the same time as well.
0: So you've had two big life experiences with cancer and then mm-hmm. assisted technology. And of yep. course, you've got the emotional experience of going through IVF, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, Stacey would have had not just the emotional, but also the physical experience yes. of the hormones and the um, pregnancies, yes. all of that stuff. And now, of course, we've kind of been spoiling it the whole way through this interview, <laughs> but now, of course, you have a beautiful baby. Yes, we do. Yes. Um and the thing that I find interesting about that situation, I've seen friends try to fall pregnant for even up to ten years. Yeah, yeah. And as soon as that baby arrives, mm. you are in the same boat as every other
1: new yeah. parent. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not a, it's not a special, not a special. You
0: know, they don't stop crying. <laughs> no, no, no. Just because you've worked so hard to get yeah, them yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, um,
1: yeah.
0: What has that been like? I mean, how have people generally taken the birth of your child? Um, and I say that remembering sometimes people are like oh, why are you complaining? You really wanted this. Yeah, yeah.
1: To answer the first part there, we've had a lot of, you know, a lot of people have followed our journey and stacey has got a, you know, a good following of her own in what she does. And she's very open and honest with her life, with her followers on Instagram and, and other places. And everyone has been just very supportive and super excited I mean she went off Instagram for like for a month and a half or two months leading into the birth and they were all just like direct (gasps) messaging her like she deleted the apps over Christmas so she didn't want to go on there she just wanted to have her mind you know on on the ball and when she opened it up there's just all these DMs going what's happening what's happening When do you have you had a kid I just want to let you know I'm really really excited to find out so they were all super excited Um, well
0: you should tell us now who she is on Instagram if people want
1: to oh yeah so so yeah, so Stacy June is my wife, so she she was one of two of the Thinker Girls and she now has moved into her own kind of arena and she has her own podcast, the Stacey June show, and she's really and has always been into the into the wellness side of things.
0: Does that help, do you think, in terms of being the parent of a newborn who is very unpredictable, doesn't yeah. follow
1: any rules. No, I, I don't. I, I don't think it is. I think you know, Stace is very. Uh, she's she's probably a lot calmer than I am at times when it comes to <laughs> to uh, to Bryn, uh, our little boy's name. Uh, he, you know, he kind of. We'd we'd had so much kind of emphasis as well on leading up to our birth because Stace was really keen and then I, I got on board. She really wanted to do a home birth and do things as naturally as possible. So there was a lot of focus on that because when you do that, everything has to go right all the way up to it. And we kind of – Was navig- there
0: pressure for you not to do that given your ages and mm. well, I don't even know how old Stacey is? But she's,
1: she's a bit younger than me, so she's 36. Okay, yeah.
0: so a bit younger. A bit younger, yeah, yeah, I yeah. like Uh Eight years. Eight years, But given the – so you're considered a geriatric mother at 35? So um, was there pressure on you because of the experience you'd been through not to have a home birth? Uh,
1: Never. Oh, that's good to know. Um, The midwives that we went through at uh, Ramwick Hospital, like uh, when we first went there, so we'd had other friends who'd gone and and said, you should try out the midwives. We did speak to an obstetrician first off and, you know, checked everything out, but we went into this one meeting and, and they were all wearing these badges that said, ask me about home birth. Wow. And Stace was really keen on that. And then you know, we were like, of course, that's, that's what we wanted to do. That was our, our question. And then when she did a little bit more research, there's only like five sort of places that do that in Australia. And we just happened to live down the road from one. So we thought it was kind of a very fateful thing that that had happened. And so they're all obviously very encouraging of it. Yes. Um, and never, never did question it. You know, we just had to make sure that at every checkup, we were in the right right place you know that she didn't have you know diabetes or or anything like that all the tests came through positive and that the baby was sitting in the right position and so yeah they were super on board with it the whole way through and getting what was the birth like the birth was no hesitation saying it was magical it really was for me it was it was when you do things and like obviously I haven't we haven't had a baby in a hospital, so I don't know what that's like. But from reading about things, it's a lot more of a relaxed environment. That's what the midwives will say. We want to help you remove a lot of fear from things. We want you to be as comfortable as possible at home because you're in your own home. You're naturally going to be a little bit more comfortable. There's no fear of cesareans or things like that. Obviously, you've got a fear that you know something might, go, might not go quite right. But we'd kind of eliminated that. And I think when we were, when we were going through labor... I was very much, and even the day before, I was very much in a total state of surrender. I was saying that to someone and I was saying, look, I, I feel super, super surrendered to whatever the outcome is here. And I think Stace was in a, was in a similar place. So I was very calm the whole process. And I don't want to, like, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. It was just felt like it was right. And it felt like we were being guided and led there. And even when we were, cause we have a, you know, during a home birth, you have your, your you blow up birthing pool. Yes. We took the kitchen table out and put the birthing pool in the kitchen. <laughs> um, and you know we had a great doula and our midwives were great and they were great in helping us set up the house. We have a lot of salt lamps around, so while we were Stace and I were focused on going through contractions, our doula was turning on all the all the salt lamps, turning off the other lights, putting on the incense, putting the clary sage in the infusers. And as our midwife said, she's like. I just want to say thank you for bringing me into your little opium den here because it really was. (laughs) It was like this real spiritual place that we'd created. And Mm. then once we got to the birth, I was in the pool with Stace and it just felt like there was another force in the room. It felt like there was another presence. And whether that was Bryn or not, or whether that was the presence of all of our kind of sort of guiding lights, I I don't know, but it was a very spiritual experience. And it just felt incredibly special to me. But, you know, You go through that, and that's what I mean. There was so much emphasis on that birth, and then after that, everyone leaves, and there's the two of you sitting at home. And we had birthed through the night, the night before, and then you're getting no sleep the second night, so you're two days without sleep. And I remember him him screaming, and I was standing in the living room looking at him, going, "Who are you? Who is this intruder? You know, because you know, why
0: won't you stop screaming? It's not
1: like you know. Some people go, "Oh, I just bonded to him straight away. I looked in his eyes, and it was just pure love. And I understand that." because I did look at him and I, I did feel incredible love for him but that night you're still not fully connected to this to this creature and you're like wow
0: my kids are five and seven I still look at them sometimes and go who are you where did you come from <laughs>
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah are you my child
1: yeah 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 so you still go through those hurdles I mean it's like it was it was that was really tough the next day I remember waking up thinking oh god I'm so in love with this kid that's that's incredible but then it's just a roller coaster you know the the lack of sleep the you know some nights you get none sometimes you get half an hour you get one you get three hours and there's time where you you know you, you can go on a full roller coaster of emotions overnight uh, you can be happy joyous looking at looking at him and you know he's, he's three weeks now so he's started smiling a little bit more and he'll smile and you go ah oh, that's so cute and then you, you know three hours later he's screaming his head off and you're sitting there trying to control your own emotions going okay no it's all about him I, I have to you know I am I am his servant he yes can't, he you can't, are. he can't do he can't do anything he doesn't know where he is he's trying to figure out what's going on he's like why why is my food source not here right now
0: and I need um, it. And I need go it. Go get it. Yeah. And that's when you call Stace and yeah, go, yeah come yeah. back <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. from your five-minute trip down the road for a coffee. Absolutely. You cannot even do that. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: So it is, a, mm. it is a roller coaster just like anyone else.
0: And how are you finding your relationship given you had that mm-hmm. basis of com- open communication mm-hmm. but throw into... Um, a relationship that you've worked on throw into that the chaos a new child brings. It's testing for anyone.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, uh, in that instance, I think it's still the same as any relationship. You just, when you're both really sleep deprived, and I'd heard a lot of people and I'd listened to a few podcasts and a lot of people said the same thing. It's good if you allow one of you to get some sleep and so that you're not both completely sleep deprived because when you're both completely sleep deprived, the niggles happen. You can't avoid them. No, you can't. Um, <laughs> and we know that the next day we'll, we'll probably get over this. But in those moments, you're still kind of sniping at each other, and you know, going, "Oh, we're not on a team here." You said you want to be on a team, but you're on your own team, and I'm over here. And you, know, <laughs> you can't. You, can't you re- slept more than me. I'm sure you did. Yeah. yeah. You don't oh, have to breastfeed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then th- there's those niggles. You get defensive. You know, I'm sitting there. Stace might say, "Oh, how did you go? How did you go with him last night?" Because she actually hasn't been well. She had a bout of mastitis, so oh, I've kind of taken over. Mm. And she's like, "How did he go?" And I'm like. Oh well, you know. Every I put him down, and he'd be down for an hour, and then I settled him, and then I put him down for an hour, and then suddenly she's just cut me off and go, "Look, it's not a competition." You know? <laughs> I just ask you how I'm like. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So Yeah. yeah.
0: So, and there's emotions too, right? It's mm. the sleep deprivation. It's also the emotion of not knowing what the hell you're doing. Yeah. Knowing they're completely responsible. Yeah. You're completely responsible for them. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I think there are very strong social ideals about what a yes. mother and what a father. Should be able yeah, to do, yeah. There's more flexibility, I think, for a dad not to know what's going on, True, but for yeah. a mum to be separated from her child and not yeah. to be out there's all these social expectations you thought you didn't care about, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. and
0: come back up,
1: yeah. Stace does a lot of, um, you know, a lot of research herself, and I think sometimes that can be good and bad, you know, because I think you you probably get more from, from friends who've gone through this. And Stacey has got one of her best friends who's got two boys and her husband had said to me, he goes, mate, I still don't know what I'm doing. Um, he's got like a a baby and he's got a three-year-old and you know, he's like, we're all just, we're all just making this up, you know, as we go along. And I kind of took that on board, but I'm still in that phase where like, you know, three weeks in at the start, you're like, I'm not getting this. And you get frustrated with yourself going, shouldn't I have just been handed the skills to do this as soon as that baby came out? Uh, no. And then after three weeks, he's still going, oh, I'm not acing this, but I'm learning all these lessons every day. And it was only been in the last kind of day or two where I've gone, okay, this learning never stops Yeah, Never. This is every day, every <laughs> week, every month, every it, the, year.
0: The, the learnings are less um, rapid,
1: let's say. Yeah, okay. That's the thing as well. Like even this time he's changed so much and sometimes he'll go to sleep for like three hours and then I'll go to get him after he's woken up I'm like, you look different. Ben, it has
0: been so interesting talking with you today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Can't wait to hear how it all evolves. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's a wonderful end to the story.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: That was Ben Jenkins. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch